What is up? What is going on, everybody? Here at the Threequel, we hope that when you hit play on this podcast, it's a lot like finding $2 million in the middle of the desert. Maybe sometimes it's not, but we will see on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of The Threekle. As always, I am one of your three co-hosts, Ethan Klein, here with me this evening, my partners in crime, Brad Miller and Mike Duranic. Gentlemen, have you ever been chased through the state of Texas by a hitman? Uh, matter of fact, yes. Oh. Um, but that might be a story for a different time. They found out that I only had $2, not $2 million, and they lost interest very, very quickly. Very understandable mistake for them to make. I I see how we got there. Um, If you clicked on the episode or you haven't gotten our references yet, we are talking the 2007 Best Picture winner, No Country for Old Men, on this episode of The Three Equal to kick off the month of November. Just so happened that last week we talked about 2006's best picture winner the departed so we're going back to back here with two films that gained a lot of accolades um and we'll we'll get into some of this kind of interesting uh the ways that these two films kind of got from where they were when they were released to winning their awards a couple different paths they took and obviously two very very different films if you missed that episode go back and check that out but gentlemen i'll start as i always do just asking you how did you first come to see no country for old men was it in theaters in 2007 was it a different way and uh, what thoughts then did you bring into this rewatch for the threequel this was my first complete uh watch of no country for old men i seen parts of it uh the only scene i could have told you before this one was uh him with the gas station attendant and the the flipping of the quarter um but yeah so no story there because this was my first full watch Uh, i can't remember if i saw it in the theater ethan or or if i saw it i had to have seen it in the theater i feel like because i know i had seen it before it won the academy award um, and I liked it enough that, as I recall, I was I was pulling for this one to win the Academy Award that year. I felt like it was um, the strongest of the, the pictures. And, and back then, that was at a period of time in my life when I watched most of the movies that were nominated or tried to get to see all of the nominated movies before the Academy Award so I could have an opinion, as opposed to now when I look at the 10 that are nominated and I've maybe heard of one. Yeah, you know, we went through last week... Uh, kind of the run of the last 15 years of best picture winners and kind of that, that drop off that has happened re- especially in the last decade. Uh, this one, uh, I agree with you, Mike, it was, it was in, it feels like a different class um, back then kind of pre 2010, 11 um, saying that this film won best picture to me means more than maybe something in the last couple of years just because of my opinion of how things have kind of gone. Um, you know, I mean, it went up against a movie like There Will Be Blood, which not one that I rewatch a lot, but uh, a heavyweight of its own. Things like Michael Clayton, Juno, things like that. Um, it had a lot of competition. For me, um, 
I think I was kind of I was the opposite of you. I also don't think I saw it in theaters, but I know it was after the Academy Award because I heard of all of the hype that it was getting. Um, I knew it got nominated for a bunch of things and that it had won. Uh, I did not know who Javier Bardem was, but he, he won the Academy Award for this. So when I was more getting into movies that the following months than in 2008, after these Academy Awards, felt like something I needed to watch and uh, caught it, may have gone and bought the DVD uh, and watched it. But it is certainly one that I have gone back to since then because of how much I enjoyed it. Uh, from that first time so uh, let's get into it guys uh, we've talked about Josh Brolin and Woody Harrelson on this podcast before that seemed you know there are kind of those four main guys that pop up in this movie so won't have as much conversation about them let's talk about Tommy Lee Jones uh, Mike you and I were just right before we started recording uh, just kind of mentioning how much we enjoy him Brad I don't know your feelings on Tommy Lee Jones but um, just what did you guys think about this role of his? He is kind of in the book. Uh, the book is very centered on his character. This, of course, the movie shifts and it is much more centered on Brolin's character. But Tommy Lee Jones is still important kind of driving through the film. So where are you guys at with Tommy Lee Jones? What did you think about this one? And uh, just just your overall thoughts. Well, I'm I'm glad you clarified because I was confused and thought you were talking about uh, Pamela Anderson's ex-husband, uh, Tommy Lee. But um, if if we're talking Tommy Lee Jones, um, I am a fan. Um, I I think he's very entertaining, mostly because I like his style. I like the the way he uh, presents his characters. I think though that. Um, as I'm kind of looking back here, like he, he's almost the exact same person in every movie. Um, like I feel like Tommy Lee Jones is just being himself in every role that he plays, which is, is fine. He pulls it off, but I don't know, like it, he, he's not a, he's not a character actor. He's, he, I don't know what the, what the term is for someone like him, but playing, the, the straight guy um, that he seems to play in most of the films, but like uh, he's definitely not uh, a master of disguise. Um, so yeah, I guess Ethan, I'll rely on you to kind of describe what that is to me as far as acting goes, but uh, I, I definitely enjoy him. And if he's in a movie, I'm, I'm probably going to check it out. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think the first thing I ever saw him in had to be men in black. Um, I was a big fan of those movies as a kid. I was a big fan of Will Smith as a kid. Um, so those two that came out when I was younger, I really enjoyed. Um, I actually saw the sequel to The Fugitive before I saw The Fugitive. Again, um, U.S. Marshals just came out around that time, probably 2099. I mean, it was just, I saw it on TV. I know I remember seeing it and then enjoying it. And my dad being like, oh, well, you know, there's actually this other movie. Um, and I think to your, to what you're saying, Brad, like that, he kind of plays the same character that for him really starts in the fugitive wins the Academy award for best supporting actor, because that is the peak that he probably ever will play that caricature that he kind of carries through his whole career. But if you go back just before that performances that I think back on that, I really love, uh, he was also nominated for JFK. He's not in it a ton. 
but he is wild in that. And then probably my my favorite not talked about Tommy Lee Jones performance. I love Under Siege and I love that he's a bad guy in Under Siege and he is just wild hair on fire in that. And if you go back just that little bit, you get to see kind of the layers that he has as an actor before he settles into the the caricature that we know now. Mike, I got a wry smile from you, so I don't know if you're also an Under Siege fan. But no, the rice smile was uh, was unrelated and was related to a Snapchat uh, that my my wife just sent me uh, going off script. <laughs> She's working behind me down here and uh, sent me a Snapchat of how I was standing uh, <laughs> saying podcast stance. Um, I'll tell you off air what I really think that the Snapchat was about. But uh, with with Tommy Lee Jones, like I, I agree with you, Brad. I do think that he kind of plays himself in these, although. Um, as I looked through one of the movies that I had forgotten that I just really enjoyed him in was actually Lincoln in his role as I think Thaddeus Stevens in that I was excited to see him pop up in that and um, yeah Men in Black and the Fugitive are where my mind go when I think of this guy but uh, I'm always happy to see him uh, pop up in a movie I think he just he brings a solid presence a stable presence a steady hand and uh, that's what he did for me in this movie. Yeah, it was something. I mean, when his name is on something, even like Ad Astra, um, I think Mike, you'd said that you'd seen that. Mm-hmm. It, I, I that movie for me, I was kind of, I don't even really know how I feel about that movie. But as soon as I saw Tommy Lee Jones is back on screen again, I was just instantly excited. And so, anytime that he he's out there working, um, I'm automatically in just because I've had such a long history of enjoying it when he is on screen and i think he just like you said just brings that that steady hand that uh is always appreciated brad ha- have you seen have you guys seen under siege um it's not ringing a bell off the top of my head oh, no yes. um i might have to go check that out because i it would is- like to see tommy lee jones playing a different character because even even this guy you could have plugged him right into men in black and that i mean same same character for sure no under siege is the only good steven seagal movie and uh tommy lee jones is the bad guy in it and he's wearing the leather jacket with a bandana the entire time just being definitely have not seen that completely off the wall insane gary Busey's like a cross dresser in it at one point in the movie it is why you think <laughs> you think that there's some wild moments in the rock let me tell you go watch under siege have yourselves a good time it might be on netflix it's it's fantastically awful but tommy lee jones is great in it hey, looking at a picture like the the uh you know concept work for the the poster for that movie i can't believe that i didn't see it because it looks like oh. totally something that snagged from him at some point and watched but i don't I don't remember the Gary Busey part, so it seems unlikely that I, <laughs> um, and I wasn't a huge Seagal fan either. Oh no, Seagal's awful, but under siege is love the uh, love the shout out to Greg there, Greg. If you're listening, uh, let me borrow your under siege tape sometime. Oh, he had he, my brother had quite the VHS collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it is interesting. Usually, uh, what I end up asking you guys when we talk about someone to this level for an episode of this podcast is is this the peak it is interesting that he's fantastic in this when he's on screen but to me this isn't even close to his peak 
usually if we say that it's a detriment to the performance that we see he's fantastic i think he hits this out of the park and he's wildly important to the entire film especially because he opens and closes the film but for me i mean it's not even worth the conversation because you have the fugitive you have these other things that we'll always go back to this um while it is i'm seeing what you're saying brad like it it, it could be sam gerard it could be agent k it's much more toned down uh, because it needs to be in this. So peak, no, but I think a fantastic performance overall, unless either of you really, really are just all in on Sheriff Ed Tom Bell. Um, I don't know that I would call it his peak performance. Um, I'd have to think long and hard if it's, it, it is arguably the best movie that he's in. Um, the, you know, I, I'd have to go back and rewatch the fugitive or, or something like that. But I don't know that there would be a, another movie that he's in that I like more than this, just off the top of my head. Um, obviously that's kind of a spoiler that I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, of this movie. I have it ranked very high on our list and shout out to you guys, a little, uh, celebration here. This is our 40th uh, film that we are reviewing together. If my, my math serves. So, um, yeah, like, uh, well done, guys, and and uh, hopefully it's the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this is probably, out of the movies I've seen him in, looking at his filmography, probably the best movie I've seen him in, I, I would say, but not my, my favorite or peak performance for him. I, I have to go with The Fugitive for that. Um, it's just a more iconic role. Uh, and, and obviously he did end up winning the Academy Award for that uh, in, you know, kind of respect to how great he was in that. So I'd, I'd have to go there. This, however, certainly even as small as the role uh, was comparatively in his Mount Rushmore for me. Yeah, I, I would agree on all, front, on all fronts. Speaking of winning the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, Javier Bardem won that very award for this film playing the hitman Anton Chigurh. Um, this for me, I did mention, I had no idea who this guy was. And I think a majority of people would end up agreeing with me on that. This was really for the American audience, the movie that introduced him, uh, to us. He wasn't a film before night falls, which I think he was also nominated for. Um, but not a popular film, not a well-known film. And it may be a foreign language film. Um, but that was really what he was in, um, Mike, you and I talked about him a little bit on Collateral, um, pops up in that basically out of nowhere. Um, but this really is the introduction to the American audience, and he wins the Academy Award. So uh, pretty fantastic on his part. This is, I mean, this guy for my lifetime, um, two of the best villains um, that I can think of in film. He has this. Um, and he has Skyfall, which he may end up, that may be the best performance of any villain in any James Bond movie um, in the illustrious history of James Bond villains. So he definitely has all the talent in the world. I am a huge fan. Is this where you guys were first introduced to him? Um, and then when you hear the name Javier Bardem, does that excite you or is it? I know I'm from no country for old men. And that's basically it. 
yeah, I think that this is kind of where I know him from, but that's not necessarily a slam on him because it was that good of a performance. Um, I think that um, I, I could not have told you what his name was um, if you asked me who played Anton Chigurh. And, uh, and also, too, when you look at his name and in the picture, especially on the IMDb, um, there's something familiar about him. So, you know, you've seen him, in, seen him in other places, but I think this role was so unique um, that this is what, what stands out to me. Um, and it was definitely my introduction to him um, when uh, I had first seen some of those scenes uh, when this movie had come out. Yeah. I, I mean, I obviously had seen him in collateral prior to this, but there's no way that when I saw this, I said, Oh, Hey, look, it's that guy from that one scene in collateral. Right. Um, and in fact, it's the opposite. When we rewatch collateral, I'm like, Oh, Hey, look, there's Javier Bardem. I didn't remember him in this movie. Um, for me, this is a hundred percent what I, I think of him. And I, I don't know, Ethan, if you have seen or will see uh, Dune. I did see it. Yes. Okay, um, and I know he's in that, and so I don't know if that will, if his role in that will not overtake this because it's not probably that kind of a movie, but we'll put you know another point of reference in my mind for him. Uh, he's very memorable, and so I mean, the the kind of the cat's out of the bag now. There's another Dune coming, and I think it would be better for people to know when you go into it. This is definitely a Dune one. This is definitely an opening to what is to come and they've signed on for more. So his character is only in a couple of scenes, but they're home run scenes and he's fantastic in it. Um, But for me, in terms of rivaling anything, it is no country for old men. Skyfall is a couple steps below, but like, I mean, I have so much love for that movie and his villain makes that movie what it is. I don't know if you guys have seen Skyfall, Um, but past that, it's a collection of Javier Bardem's in this. Oh, he's in this. Oh, he's there. Yeah, but not necessarily. He doesn't put me in a theater. I'll put it that way. And it, a lot of it is the choices he makes. The films mm-hmm. he does don't always connect to me. Well, and we know very well that he's he's putting your butt in a seat in the theater in 2023. So uh, it's just going to be two years before he takes True. his most iconic role ever. Uh, I know Brad... You probably were, were going for this and didn't quite get it. Uh, maybe don't look as good with the shirt off as him, but he's going to be playing King Triton in <laughs> what I can I have to imagine is the live action because we have to have a live action version of The Little Mermaid. I would assume so. So and... there you go. Now that right there, my friends, that's how to get yourself some big play because it'll stream on Disney Plus forever. Would he make it uh, just off the top of your guys' head? Would he make it on the Mount Rushmore of performances for our podcast? Um, I I think I think that is tough to say maybe overall, but villains, I'd be hard pressed to say we've talked about four better villains. I mean, this guy is the essence of pure evil. I think they try to make it somewhat charismatic, like it's a toss of a coin, you know, it's just that, but then you look at like him going after his wife at the end. This guy is just death walking through this entire movie. It's frightening. It's horrifying. It's a masterclass of building tension. And so much of that is just the the power that he conveys on screen. 
I think it's got to be in the Mount Rushmore of villains we've talked about here on the threequel. Well, so the obvious one to, to put right up there is Heath Ledger, right? As the Joker, you'd have to have that one there. Ed Norton um, from Primal Fear. Ed Norton's role in Primal Fear is the other one that just jumped out to me. As I'm scrolling through, though, uh, Hannibal Lecter, right? Mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> but I think you could make the argument that he's in that race for that number four slot there. Yeah. And those are four pretty impressive performances when you stack them right on top of each other, actually, right? I mean... Well, they're all Academy Award-winning performances, all of them. Yeah. Same exact category. I mean, that basically, when you're a villain, right, the best thing you can hope for is supporting actor. I mean, not often are we going to get the villain leading a film unless it is something, I mean, oddly enough, just with the comparison, like Joker. Um, but even that, I mean, that's a, a movie about that guy's mental health things and stuff like that. I mean, just a movie purely about the villain doesn't come around. So that supporting actor. I, um, I think an underrated vote for best villain would be the, uh, the mother um, in, in, um, Oh shoot. I just lost it. Prisoners. Um, yep. Yep. Good. Simply because of what she was doing and how it would affect children. Um, I think that, that would have to be put up there as, as a possibility for um, an underrated villain performance for sure. Yep. She, what she has and similar to him, I think, you know, with, because there's just such a, there's such a twist in primal fear that you're not necessarily afraid of him the whole time. You're trying to figure it out. Heath Ledger Joker is so good. You're locked on screen. Like, and kind of the same thing with Hannibal Lecter, you're creeped out, but you can't look away. There's a fear that gets put through the screen, I think, with Javier Bardem's performance. With, when he walks on screen, there is a tonal shift that some of those other performances don't give because their characters have a level of charisma. He doesn't necessarily have it. Like that, that, that coin toss scene with the guy at the gas station, it's not, it, for me, that scene's never been like, I'm locked in. I'm so excited to see what happens next. I'm afraid of what's going to happen next. And that is, I think, credit to him. Well, you know, this being our first podcast after Halloween, um, happy Halloween, everybody belatedly. You know, Brad and I had a, I think we had just that brief conversation the other day uh, about, you know, what's scarier, right? The, the Michael Myers who just like lumbers after you calmly, always knowing you're going to get there or like the, the horror villain who's sprinting after you. And for me, the answer is just that calm, cool, collected. And this isn't a horror movie, but what this guy brings to it is he is calm, cool, collected. He is never stressed under pressure. And it's just that consistency of like, well, you can run, you can do this, you can do that. I'm going to get you. Um, that makes his character so, um, you know, disconcerting. Yeah, completely agreed. That's very well said. So the other two, so we won't touch on too much, but Josh Brolin, Woody Harrelson. We just talked about Josh Brolin um, in Sicario. Uh, I think this performance almost in some ways gets forgotten for many different reasons because Javier Bardem won the award and because Josh Brolin dies off screen in this movie, which was a bold choice, but um, one that I think works. But uh, he is the main character of this movie and I think does a really good job of being he comes off as kind of a simpleton in some ways, but also very capable 
and I don't mean simpleton as dumb. I just mean he kind of just has a simpler life and happens to stumble upon this grand adventure. And I, I, I've always thought that Josh Brolin does a really good job. This is probably, if I think back on it, my first introduction to Brolin. I can't think of any other Brolin movie where I... Goonies? Yeah, but I mean, I saw Goonies when I was so young that it wasn't... Like, I didn't watch this for the first time and think, oh, that's the guy from the Goonies when I was a kid. Like, this is th- this is what I know for a fact. And I was never, I mean, I saw Goonies once when I was like 10 and didn't care for it. So, like, it wasn't, for me, this is what I go back to. Is that it for you as well, Mike? I mean, is it is it Goonies when you think about Josh Brolin and kind of his big moment? Strangely enough, no. And I can almost guarantee you that when I think of Josh Brolin, what comes to my mind is something not at all for the two of you. For me, it is actually his role as George W. Bush in W. I, okay. I would have put so much money on that. I was I was gonna <laughs> say it before you even said it. I, yeah. I knew that was gonna be it. And it's just again as a as a political science guy and, and everything, I, I just really enjoyed the different portrayals in that movie. Um and so yeah, strangely enough, when I think of Brolin, I, I have a hard time not seeing him as George W. Bush. It's weird. I'm just scrolling through his, and we talked a little bit about this, Sicario. He's not been in the best movies. Really? I mean, it's not, he does not have an overwhelming, like, yeah, Josh Brolin's just killed it. Yet, I'm still a big fan of his for some reason. He was in Dune, and he was fantastic in Dune. Uh, maybe my favorite character. Um, but that was him. Woody, we talked about Woody way back when we did, um, white men can't jump. I'm still a huge fan of his and and more and more. Every time I see him on screen, I forget that he's in this until I rewatch it each time. And he just, whenever he's on screen, I am happy in, in most things that he is in. Um, I've always been a big fan. I don't know if you guys wanted to touch on that real quick before we talked about the Coens, but I just, I'm a huge fan and always have been always happy to see him show up in a movie. Uh, thought he packed a lot of power in a very small, uh, part in this. And so, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. He just has that natural arrogance that it, it takes to play that part that he does in this. Um, if you're faking that, um, it it comes across well and it it almost looks like an innocent arrogance that he just he knows he's really good at what he does and i i appreciate how he played that scene or those scenes that he's in if we're gonna go with recent movies that these guys have been in go see dune don't go see woody harrelson's newest movie uh venom 2 it it took a number two on the screen as i sat there and watched it I'll, i'll leave it at that the Cohen brothers, guys, as we shift to the other side of the camera. Um, this is interesting. I'll say that I, this seems to be a hot take in terms of like movie nerd culture. I'm not a Cohen brothers fan. Um, I'm curious where you guys are at. To like, they have a very, very unique style to their films, and all the big directors do, right? You know, a Scorsese movie, you know, a Michael Bay movie, um, David Fincher, all, all those guys have a way about their movies for me their dialogue because they usually tend to write all of their films it, it just doesn't work for me i think the big lebowski has some funny moments i've never really cared for fargo the older one's not my thing this to me is far and away the one i go back to 
I love this movie. Um, and I think part of that is it's so incredibly different from anything else they've ever done. There's not that stereotypical Coen brothers dialogue in this movie. It's just not there. The only other movie of theirs that I have seen, and I oddly enough for not liking them, I've seen the majority of their movies, true grit. But again, that's a recycled property that does not have their style of dialogue in it. So no country for old men, true grit fan of the rest of it. Never really done it for me. I don't know where you guys are at with it. Um, I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you if I was a Coen Brothers fan until you started reading through those films. And I absolutely am a Coen Brothers fan. I, I really, really enjoy several of those movies that you, um, just mentioned there. So, um, yeah, probably collectively as a, uh, you know, as a collection of films, I would say that, uh, they're probably one of my favorites for sure. Um, I would agree with you, Ethan. I think my two favorite movies looking at their filmography is this one, as well as the remake or recycle of True Grit, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, I was never the biggest fan of The Big Lebowski. I know that that thing has a cult following. And I mean, there are people who, man, you, they, they would disown you if you said you weren't the biggest fan. It's fine. I don't like hate it, but it's not one that I'm going to rush to rewatch. Uh, I'm going to be quoting left and right. Um, and, and probably the same with Fargo to that degree as well. So I think, again, they have a unique style and it's not, you know, not everybody's cup of tea. I would kind of liken them in that sense to Tarantino uh, a little bit where there are some people who like Tarantino is it and then others and not as much. And so, um, but for them, I think this is probably the peak. Yeah, and I think Brad, you're also you're a raising Arizona fan as well, correct? Have we had that conversation before? Um, I I mean I I, I can't remember if we have, but yes, I am. Okay. Um, yeah, Fargo, Lebowski, Yo Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, what else? Uh, True Grit. Yep. Yeah, even the even the uh, uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs that came out a few years ago, I I was really entertained by. It was it was odd and different, but um. I think that's part of what I appreciated about it is, you know, it's not cookie cutter there. And that's, that's their stuff is, is definitely not that. And I, I appreciate that for sure. Yeah. And I mean, for this, they did win uh best director uh, collectively, the two going brothers together. They won best director. I said that, you know, this and the departed kind of took different paths to it. Um, the departed won picture director, I believe screenplay, no acting. This, on the other hand, wins picture, director, screenplay, gets the acting award. Um, But it was also nominated for a bunch of other technical things, cinematography, film editing, things like that. So it seemed like this one more across the board was. I feel when I look at the two, the way they were rewarded, this is rewarded as a great all around movie. The Departed seemed to be. Martin Scorsese has been doing this for so long, and this is such collectively a loved movie. He's going to win directing. It's going to win Best Picture, and we're going to move forward. So it, it, it won what it was nominated for and nothing else. This totaled eight nominations across the board, um, and sometimes that happens. But uh, it, it was interesting, the conversation that we had last week about, you know, was The Departed the most rewatchable? Is that how you phrased it, Mike? Yeah. And so my question then to you guys is, we've done these back-to-back now. Does that hold true? Last week, we all kind of nodded in agreement. Yeah, The Departed would be 
do do you still hold true to that now a week later watching this movie again is the departed the more rewatchable best picture winner and is it also the better best picture winner because those are two different questions that could could go either way um so i'll answer that uh I think each one of them would get one of those. The Departed to me is more rewatchable. Um, but on my list that we just did, is it's funny because um, prior to discussing this on this podcast today, I had The Departed ranked third on my three cool movies that we've done. And I had No Country for Old Men at fourth. Um, as we were talking, before you asked this question, I made the decision to move No Country for Old Men just ahead of The Departed. So I think that I would, in my opinion, say that this is a better film, um, but The Departed is more rewatchable. So that, that's where it falls for me. Uh, the Departed for me is unquestionably still more rewatchable. I will rewatch The Departed again long before I rewatch this after uh, you know this watch. As far as which one is the better movie, um, you know, I kind of try to look at it in, in three aspects, right? One is what's more rewatchable, because that's a factor for me, because um, I'm not, nor will I ever be a person who appreciates a movie simply on artistic whatever, right? Uh, the second is kind of the, the level of performances in it and, you know, who has the more memorable performances. Uh, and then I give a third to kind of just the, the overall storyline and does the storyline carry through. Um, and I would lean departed. I think Bardem's performance in this is unquestionably in my mind, stronger than anything that you see in the departed. Um, but the departed had so many good performances that, um, you know, it, it, to me, it, it probably carries that category on the whole, uh, just because as we talked about last week, how deep it was. Um, and so, the storyline, which storyline is better? Well, this storyline is cleaner. It's a more elegant storyline. I would I would give the, the nod to No Country for Old Men, but it's close. And I'll say it's close, even though when when you get my list, you'll see this is quite a ways further down uh, for me from The Departed. But in terms of which one is the better movie, it's a coin toss in my mind a little bit. Yeah, I think for me, I, I'm going to I go where Brad was. I think that The Departed is more rewatchable, but I, I do think that this is better simply with um, Mike, like you said, I mean, Javier Bardem. I think his performance trumps anything we see in The Departed um, by a pretty good margin for me. Um, things I've already said, I, I loved his performance. And then just the the film itself, you know, my favorite scene from The Departed was Leo chasing Matt Damon right through that back alley the tension that's built there it's great filmmaking there's like six scenes in this movie that are right on par with that um you know the 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 coin toss scene the second coin toss scene the conversation between woody harrelson and javier bardem javier bardem going into the hotel room where the uh guys are waiting to to go after josh brolin i mean there's so many scenes of just you're on the edge of your seat and you don't know what's going to happen next because of how they, they do this movie. And, and, you know, we talk about, you know, how surprising was it that they killed Leo off? And then, the, you know, the, the string of dead bodies that follow that scene, you know, this movie takes a lot of risks too. the fact that Josh Brolin dies off screen. I remember the first time seeing this being so mad, right? Like how, how are you going to build up to this and then not give me that payoff? 
now that I've rewatched it a few times and that I kind of, you know, I, I feel like I have a better grasp of what this movie is really about. I can appreciate the risks they took and I enjoy it that much more. So I would lean uh, that Departed more rewatchable and the better film is No Country for Old Men. Uh, you guys have anything else or would you like to play a game? Uh, just a couple of things. Um, Mike got a reaction for me. Or, uh, I think I made a, a sound when he said this was the, I forget how he worded it, a better performance than anything in The Departed. And then I, I kind of stepped back from that and thought about it. And I think the thing that's underrated about um, uh, Bardem's uh, portrayal of this character here is like, you don't really fully know who this guy is. Um and I guess what I mean by that is like at some points is he a, is he a crazy psychopath? Is he a uh, mastermind cartel leader? Is he a um, just cool, calm, and calculated, um, you know, killer that on a mission and he's not going to be stopped by anything? Like it, it's really cool to kind of to see different. Um, uh, different angles of the character that he's playing there. So I, I really appreciate that because he, he, he keeps you on your toes and you never fully know who he is as you're watching this. Yeah. And that, that's kind of what I'm getting at is if I'm looking at just who, which movie has the best individual performance to me, it's not even close. It's this one, his performance carries the day. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't say enough about it on the rewatch. I, there was a lot of things about this movie that I enjoyed his performance was number one. Uh, the other thing about this film that really stood out to me, and maybe I, I felt like I missed something. There's there's two things I want to bring up here. One, um, his death, and you mentioned it off screen. Like, I I feel like when I I heard the gun the gunshots, and you see uh, Tommy Lee Jones pull up there, and and then you find him dead on the ground there, and I was like did I like look away or did I miss something? Because it just, he's, he's eluding this, uh, um, uh, basically serial killer, this entire film, he's staying two steps ahead of him. And then he just randomly gets killed by, uh, you know, guys that seem to have no skill at all, uh, in this hotel room. And then I start thinking like, did the, did the lady by the pool have anything to do with this? Like, I guess I, I just felt like there was something I missed there and maybe that's the point of it. And before you, you touch on that, the, the other thing too is, is was there any, um, was it on purpose that when his wife says Ed Tom at the end of the film, she makes it sound like Anton. Um, because like, I paused and was like, huh, was that on purpose? And it was trying to think is like, there's some connection to this dream that he's having in his retirement and, and, and Anton. And I, I, it could just be coincidence that Ed Tom sounds like Anton, but um, a lot of times in, in movies like this, little things like that are done on purpose. And I guess I uh, just wanted to see your guys' thoughts on both of those things. Well, uh, I think that uh, the, the scene with the hotel when he's shot and killed, um, I hadn't thought about was the, was the woman in it, but uh, involved in it. But I suppose that you could that could make sense. That's certainly a possibility, Brad. Um, 
you know, I thought more of like the abruptness of, well, it's just over after he's evaded this so long. It's not like he wasn't close to being killed by this guy before. Um, and so I kind of took it more as like this guy was in over his head. He had gotten lucky. He evaded death a couple of times and it didn't come the way that we were anticipating it coming. But it's more of like, well, look, you, you, you know, dance with the devil enough times. Eventually it's going to get you. Um, you know, as far as the end, I didn't I don't know that I made that connection about the Ed, Tom, Anton thing. And so I don't know that I've got a whole lot to say on that. Ethan, do you have any thoughts on that? No, that wasn't really something I had ever noticed. And I, can't, I mean, like like I said, with the death thing, when I first saw it, I was angry and upset that they went that way. But, you know, I feel like they're talking about the, the coin so often in this movie and, you know, him saying to his wife at the end that, you know, I got here the same way this coin did, the things like that, like, and even the car crash at the end, right, and him getting away. There's so much randomness in this movie. And a lot of it is just the choices these people make. They kind of punch their own ticket at the end of the day. And if he would have just left the money um, when this all started, he would have had an opportunity to survive. But at some point, he was going to die. Mm-hmm. It was either going to be Shigur. It was going to be someone that caught up to him. It was going to be someone that he met farther down the line that found out how he came across this money. Like he decided that he didn't like the life he had and he was going to chase after it this other way. If he had made a different choice, he would have been able to survive, but his, his fate was decided. We just didn't know who it was that was going to end him is how I took it at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that I think those uh, those things make sense. And I'm you're probably right. The Ed, Tom and Anton thing was probably just more coincidental. Um, but that's one of the things that make me appreciate this film is like the, the little things that make you stop and think. Um, but but yeah, um, yeah, I think you're right, too, Ethan. It, it, he was going to go at some point. It was just um, yeah, it was just kind of lackluster. And it, at first it didn't even register with me that. Yeah, and I had to do a kind of a double take there to, to see that. But um, yeah, definitely uh, some well chosen um, off off the uh, the beaten path sort of choices by the Cohen brothers there. Um, but that's what makes them who they are. And also too, <laughs> I uh, I guess I was saying he alluded, uh, and Mike used the correct word that I meant to use, and that was evaded. I don't know. Uh, uh, why I was choosing the wrong word there, but I just want to correct that. So shout out to you, Mike, for uh, for correcting me without making me look stupid. All right, so let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game, gentlemen. Uh, Mike, are you going first this week? I think it's mine. Um, Heck yeah, I love to, that, right? I'm trying to think back to last week, and I can't even remember where The Departed ended because I wanted to put this like close to where The Departed was because I thought likely, you know, Best Picture nominees, close. Uh, I think The Departed was in the low 90s, um, and I imagine that this one was more of a cl- critical darling than that one. So I'm going to go with 90. Uh, I'll go with 93 on this one. Brad, which way you want to snipe me? Um, well, I had no idea where to go. So just for sake of competition, I am going to snipe you, and I'm going to say 94. So um, 
let's see uh let's see how you beat me on this even though last week i got you by just one and 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 ethan too i I think we need a little shout out for um we've gotten uh away from realizing just some weeks how good we are at this game uh to be one point off but um Watch after saying that we're probably 15 points off and it's in the <laughs> low 70s. Like, the or critics something. hated it. It was 75. <laughs> this is the greatest upset in Academy Award history. Nobody liked this movie. Uh, no. So for reference, The Departed was at 90% last week. And this movie was slightly reviewed better. Um, and this is actually going to be a, uh, a poster child moment for Brad's comment about how good you guys are at this game because it is at 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Mike hit it right on the head. Uh, audience score at 86%. Um, which is still very well reviewed. Score. Yeah, slight uh, a slight drop. Which I mean, I you know, whenever I reference it, it's you know, if a hundred people walk out of a theater, the numbers there. I, I'm a big fan of this movie, and I think 93 is a perfect score for it. Like I, I have no complaints about this movie, but this is a very dark and what I forgot about until I rewatched it. Gruesome movie. There is mm-hmm. some <laughs> like. Him, him uh, doing the surgery on his own leg, a couple of the deaths in this movie. There is some stuff that happens so fast you don't quite catch it. Um, the the cattle gun thing isn't the most bloody or gory thing, but there are some other kills in this movie. Um, the strangulation at the beginning, uh, the the bystander that's driving the truck and gets hit. It, it is a very gruesome movie, so I, I can understand the 86 percent brad did you have a thought you seemed like you wanted to jump in (laughs) um yeah i'm glad you can read my face so well on this on this zoom but uh no i just want to point out to the the listeners of the show that obviously you can't see our zoom so you did not get any kind of reaction from mike because he did it silently but the thing i appreciate about even little games like that is mike and i are so competitive in everything that we do that he just gave the same reaction to this random guessing game that we play that I would give if I put on the, a pair of pants for the first time in a year and found $50 in the pocket. Like <laughs> that's the exact same reaction I would have given. Cause uh, that's how much we, we like to win when we're, when we're competing at different things. So uh, kudos, Mike. Um, and next week I'll try to give uh, just as enthusiastic a fist pump if i can snipe you and in go the right direction so well done on your guess with your 93 well i yeah i mean you're you're absolutely right brad it's amazing how much just a little competition can can make it fun for sure and uh so yeah but uh we we had a couple movies there where we were quite a ways off we're back we've got our stride now and we're we're kind of clicking again which means that next week we'll probably be 15 points off again well in saying that too i think uh Ethan, don't check out the score next week. Beat me. Let's let's put him up against a true movie buff here and see how you can do at the Rotten Tomatoes game. And I will host it um, while you guys play for whatever movie we decide to record for next week. Okay, that's fair. We we can do that. Uh, just to wrap that up, uh, this twenty five million dollar budget made one hundred and seventy five million. So pretty good return on investment and i'm honestly shocked that it only cost 25 million this has to be everybody saying we want to be in a coen brothers movie we'll take a pay cut because 25 million that is a small indie film not a movie that's filmed in multiple locations sweeping landscapes and has action scenes in it 
Well, I think as I read through um, on the Wikipedia page, if I'm not, I mean, who knows, it could be wrong, but it seems like a lot of these actors, uh, Brolin and Bardem in particular, had to almost petition to get in this. Uh, they were not the first choices for their roles uh, by any means. And so I would imagine in terms of like cost for the salary, you know, Tommy Lee Jones was probably the bigger ticket one. And the others probably were like, look, we just really want to be in this. Uh, we'll take less. Just look at our audition tape kind of thing. Yeah, there were there were multiple other actors on standby waiting to be in this movie and some that had been cast um, prior. So uh, definitely some it was originally supposed to be Heath Ledger in the Josh Brolin role and Mark Strong in the uh, Javier Bardem role. So that, that would have made for a very different film, both capable actors. But this is kind of one of those moments where. I don't want anything to ever be changed. I don't even want to play that thought experiment because yeah, everything came together so well uh, and, and everyone played, played off of each other so perfectly. I will say it was also nice to see, uh, uh, to see Steven found a stapler and then um, <laughs> got hired all the way into this role where he met his demise um, by Mr. Bardem. But yeah, uh, I, that was such an iconic role in office space. Every time I see that guy, I, I say in my head, have you seen my stapler? Um, so yeah, good, just good little um, small bit, bit part here for, for Steven Root. Yeah. I, I love it when he pops up and things. Uh, let's do favorite line, favorite scene. Uh, gentlemen, favorite line. Where are you going from? No country for old men. Well, I can go first. Uh, my favorite line is uh, from the gas station and I was trying to, pick out uh, which one, but I'm just going to go with, um, you know, it's 1950 or 1958. It's been traveling 22 years to get here and now it's here and it's either heads or tails. And you have to say, call it. And the gas station guy says, look, I need to know what I stand to win. And he just very simply says everything. And so that, that exchange right there is my favorite line. Uh, yeah, my, mine is much, it, it's it's quicker. It is uh, some of the humor in this movie, and it is from a guy that I love, uh, Woody Harrelson, and it involves, uh, Brad, shout out, Stephen Root. He simply asks him, uh, how bad is this guy? And his response is my favorite line. He says, compared to what, the bubonic plague? And I think, I mean, it's Woody being perfectly dickish in, in, in his own way, and then also having the comedy, but also putting into perspective, like this guy will not stop uh, until you, you probably cut his head off and burn his body. Um, he's almost inhuman uh, the way that he goes about his business. So compared to what the bubonic plague is my favorite line. Uh, for me, mine came from uh, a small part. Um, it came from Ellis and it says, um, what you got ain't nothing new. This country's hard on people. You can't stop what's coming. Uh, it ain't all waiting on you. That's vanity. Um, and it, I, I like the line just because it, it makes you think, and it also puts things into perspective that like our problems aren't new um, and we can't stop what's coming. Um, and, you know, how are we going to deal with it? How are we going to get through it? How are we going to come out on the other end? But um, to think that, um, to think that what you're dealing with is anything that, that hasn't been there before or isn't going to be there again is, is vanity. So um, I just like that line. Cause it, it makes, makes you think. 
And then favorite scene, fellas, where are we heading? Well, for me, um, oh, go, oh, ahead, go ahead. Okay. Oh. I was, yeah, I guess we'll just go reverse order here. And uh, um, I, uh, you guys mentioned my favorite scene and I don't know why it is, but it is the, the interaction with the gas station guy. Um, I just find it interesting how um, the two different personalities communicate with each other there. And I love the laid back uh, draw that the gas station guy has and um, just kind of how that plays off. And then you, you, you're on the edge of your seat cause you think, okay, this guy's going to meet his demise here. And then it, it comes down to a coin toss. And I just, I love how that whole thing plays out. And I think it, it's even better that, um, the guy didn't die. Um, and then he, you know, he's like, just you keep that coin because, um, you don't want it to get mixed in with the other coins and just be a random coin. And then he turns and says, even though it is, you know, like, neat little three, four minute play, uh, on, on words that these guys are having back and forth. And I just, I, I don't know why, but I really enjoy the, the, that scene in the film. Yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely the scene that, um, if I remember right, like when Javier won the Academy award, that was the scene that got played, uh, as they announced his nomination, just because of, uh, how iconic that's become my favorite scene. Um, I'm going to go with the, uh, moment where Josh Brolin's in his hotel room. Javier comes up, does the cattle gun thing, you know, bounces the lock off of him and just that. And then following through all the way to uh, when they're separated again, I think that's just a masterclass in tension building. You see the shadow on the other side of the door, the fighting. And then I love how um, there's kind of this moment, like Josh Brolin accepts, really his fate in that like he has to do things differently in this moment because if he just simply runs he's not going to get away you know he doubles back he goes back into the hotel to face this guy head on uh you know he when he has that moment to run he turns around and 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 chases javier away and he does actually you know he he cuts the russian right he actually does make this inhuman force bleed and part of that is because he he attacks him back which is something that um, Shiger's character is definitely not used to. He's used to setting the tone, and, and I like that shift. You still feel like Brolin does not have the upper hand, that he's scrambling and fighting for his life, but I think that that flip there is very good, and it gives you that moment where Shiger is able to accomplish a little bit of something, especially juxtaposed to how he dies. Um, so, so that is my favorite scene, just great tension, great payoff. Um, and just really, really well done by the Coens and by uh, Brolin and Bardem. Yeah, so that was one of the two scenes that was in the running for me, Ethan. So I'll go the other direction, but definitely uh, the suspense of that scene uh, made it a strong contender for me. Uh, I'll go with uh, basically from the moment that uh, Woody Harrelson's character is walking up the stairs and you see, um, you know, um, Bardem's character kind of slide in behind him and start walking up all the way through their interaction um, in the hotel room and then through to the conversation over the phone um, that Bardem's character and um, Brolin's character have that ends with Brolin's character saying, you're not going to look for me, basically. Uh, he's telling him, I'm coming after you. Um, and so I think that that was, was well done, bringing all three of those characters in through that. Yeah, the, <laughs> the psychotic nature of you. Mm-hmm. Again, just 
the way that Woody Harrelson delivers lines is fantastic. Well, guys, that was our conversation of No Country for Old Men. Uh, I'm not going to end this podcast by telling anyone of the listeners about the dreams that I have because that's a whole nother thing and we'd have to end up getting into a therapy session. We don't need to do that. So I'll end it a little bit differently than the film does, but hope you guys enjoyed this. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Join us next week. Uh, we, I don't have a little preview for you. We're going to probably talk about what we'll do next week after we record. So that will be a surprise, but tune in. We'll be there next Thursday with another movie as we roll through the month of November. Other than that, guys for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan. And we'll see you next time.